Welcome to the show that punches you in the face with information, education, and motivation. My name is Mark Atobri, and welcome to the Wolfskin Den. Today's guest was, uh, won a overall title at the age of 22, and was seen as the next big thing in bodybuilding, in Australian bodybuilding. Uh, he was at, you know, nearing the top, next big thing, and pretty much lost it all to blame, shame, and self-defeat. He has since climbed his way out of that hole to be crowned the current Mr. Victoria. Today's guest is Lucky. How do you say your last name? It's a long one. It's Hatsy Pantalis. So Not to be confused with Hatsy Pantsless. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show, Lucky. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to, to have you on. Um, I'm really looking you forward to getting to it. You know what, Mark? The pleasure is all mine, and thank you for having me on here. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. This is so, by far the most professional podcast I've done. It's a professional setup, even with a microphone. Fantastic. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, we, we don't like to do things in halves. Yeah. We've got yeah. the cameras set up at the studio nice and quiet on a Sunday. So uh, let's get into it. So uh, one of the things I, w I do want to get into today, but before we do, do I just kind of want to set the scene. What, the, the focus of today, folks, um, you know, Lucky being the next big thing in Australian bodybuilding, um, you know, having, having some troubles for, for some time and then getting back in, that's quite the journey. It's quite hard to do what you've actually done because there's a lot of, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of obstacles in the way. So before we really get into that, can you set the scene of, you know, uh, how was your last comp? What, what, did you, what did you achieve in the last comp? You know, conditioning wise, uh, body fat wise, weight wise? This season? Yeah, this season. So I did three comps this season. Mm. Uh, the first one was uh, 6th of, of October and I weighed in at about, I weighed in under 100 fully clothed. Um, the second show was two weeks later, the Nationals. I weighed in a little bit heavier. I actually had to take off my shoes and my jumper to weigh in under 100. And then uh, I did the, world, the PCA World Championships and I weighed in well under 100. So the first show was the Victorians, that's the yeah. show so that you won? that's the show I won my class in the overall. Uh, that was my goal. Yep. So in my, on my whiteboard and in my diaries, I had that as my, my main objective. Um, that was the main, the main goal, because I didn't, earlier on this year when I committed to my contest prep, that's the only goal I put on my whiteboard. Anything after that, I didn't think I'd be good enough to win the nationals, uh, but I thought I had a chance at winning the overall, the, 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 the state titles, and I had no idea at that stage earlier this year that I'd even be going overseas. So when I committed to my contest prep earlier on in the year, it was just states and nationals, and then, um, once I achieved what I'd done, I got an invitation to go overseas, fully paid for, and I thought, hey, I'm taking this. And you came fourth, that was at the PCA? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was hoping not to come last. Mm. And it's funny, when I, got, when I uh, got backstage at the Worlds, I thought I was gonna come last. And my goal was just, I'd love to come home with a trophy. And I knew that if I caught like fifth, I'd get a trophy, because the top five got a trophy. But then I found out the top six get a trophy. Um, and when, the, with the Worlds, when we did the, the presentation, um, two of the guys that were competing earlier on in the day weren't there. So there's only six guys, six of us left on stage. So I knew, hey, I'm getting a trophy regardless. This is pretty cool. And um, I ended up getting fourth. So I was wrapped. So when they called someone else for sixth, I'm like, that's really cool. I've got fifth. I just naturally assumed that. And then when they called someone else for fifth, I'm like, whoa, that's really cool. I got fourth. So I was wrapped with that. And you, so you won the, the, the VIX, you yeah. came second at nationals? I got second to Justin Wessels. Like, no one was coming first in that, in that lineup. As soon as Justin Wessels had, had, had announced 
that he's doing the show, naturally I knew that this guy's going to win the comp. He, uh, Justin has been undefeated in Australia for about two and a half decades. So I've got to ask you on that. Yes, sir. So, wh wh like, some people would say, why compete? If you know you're not going to win, you know, Justin's going to win. Yeah. Uh, why do the hard yards, get up yeah. on stage, you know, diet, do the cardio to know that you're going to come second? Oh, for me, mm. um, second place was a win. That's the way I was rationalising it because I knew that I couldn't win. Um, and that was good enough. And because I hadn't competed in so long and I hadn't done, an, I'd never done a national title with IFBB, that's the, that's the elite. I wanted to see first year back, um, where do I stand with the top guys? Because I'm all about, like, I was back. By that stage, I knew, like, I'm really happy with the direction things are going. This is the first year I've been training. I've only been training for 10 months by this stage. And I thought, I've done really well already. And I'm, there's no pressure, there's no expectation. So I could do the nationals just quickly. Let me go back two weeks. For the, for the VIX, by that stage, like, from probably about a couple months before the VIX, my body had developed to a point where everyone that was seeing me was like, dude, you are going to win this. And I couldn't see that. There were moments when I could I'll get a good pump and I could kind of see, or if my adversaries were posting their photos, which a lot of them were doing on a weekly basis, I would take my progress pics, but not post them, but I'd compare them. And it got to a point um, leading up to the comp where my progress pics were getting better and my body was developing. You know, it's funny, with everyone knows about muscle memory, but when it's you and you've got insecurities, it's hard to, it's, I kind of felt like, is the muscle going to come back and how quickly is it going to come back? Surprisingly, it came back really quickly. So I, I needed to ask you on that as well, because one of the things you've said in previous podcasts is, you know, you, you trained for 10 months for this yeah, yeah. And, and you won. Yeah. How, how did you make up that gap? Because you did have some yeah. guys who obviously they hadn't fallen off the bandwagon. Yeah, no, they I were know. consistent. Yeah. Um, I know. So, so, I mean, lucky version... Uh, 2.0, you know, yeah. Yes, but lucky version one, maybe can you just give us the stats of what did you hit stage on at your best okay, in lucky so, version one? So we'll come back to where we were just, yeah, just quickly. So version 1.0, my last comp, I was only 90, I was 95 kilos and I was a little bit soft. And that was after eight years of consecutive training. 95, that was, that was the best I'd got to. 95 kilos on stage, a little bit soft in my last comp, admittedly. For this one, I was just better. And uh, we'll go into that and what I did differently. I did everything differently. But to answer your question, right, uh, leading up to the VIX, there's a lot of pressure and expectation. And I, I don't deal with that very well. You know, for me, it's like, am I going to meet these expectations? And then I start overthinking things and doubting my self-doubt's huge with me and it buckles me. And as I started improving and I was comparing myself my current self, my progress pics of these upload photos of my adversaries, I was like, hey, I've got a chance here. Then as the comp got closer, I'm like, if I be honest with myself right now, I'm, I could, I'm gonna take this guy. And these are the guys that I thought were the guys to beat. But still, there was that insecurity in my, in my head. And then as the comp got closer, which has happened in the past, as the comp gets closer, my insecurities more, come to the surface more. Right, so then I, you know, I do my head in so much. Which is pretty normal. We are yeah. bounce around a fair bit in this interview yeah. and um, in this podcast show, wherever you're watching it, <laughs> yeah. or iTunes or SoundCloud. Um, in, in saying that, before we get into you know, the, the childhood uh, stuff, so I do want to set the scene of where you, you were. Um, I suppose, you know, the, the, the Justin getting up on stage, all those kind of things, yeah, I mean, really, it's quite a significant, I do want to make a point on it, it's quite a significant thing to, to 
get where you went in 10 months. It's, and I, I know that. I'm aware, like, you know, it's hard for me to say really positive things about myself, um, but I can be honest with myself and I know that what I did in 10 months was pretty incredible. But to answer your question about the Nationals, because I knew Justin was going to win it and I didn't have the pressure and expectation of the Vicks, I was able to have fun. So next year, you, you gearing yeah. up to win it? I mean, J Justin gets his pro card. Okay, so my goals for next year, I don't like saying this, but my goals for next year is I'd like to uh, replicate what I've done at the state titles, but even more, like if I was to be really honest within my, you know how we put our own goals down? I wouldn't share this normally, because it sounds quite narcissistic, maybe. I don't know. I keep prodding you. You know, but like, I want to come back and I want to convincingly win my class at the nationals and at the overall. You know, I, I thought to myself, if I could do what I did in 10 months with an actual off season and uh, it just, I, I'm back now. You know, and what it really comes down to is having an off season. I never had one. I went from inactivity to just, okay, I'm training now for a couple of months and you know what? I want to compete this year. And I made the commitment to myself. And it's funny, when I look back at the photos of how I looked at that time, I thought, it's funny, I thought I was better at the time than what I was. Because I got my weight up to 120 kilos. And I thought I had a bit more muscle than what I did. And when I look back at my skin folds, I had like, my lean mass was like 98. And my lean mass increased throughout my whole prep. So I did also two powerlifting comps. I did one at 10 weeks out and one at six weeks out. And my lean mass increased and my strength increased. This is going into a prep. That's something very different that you haven't done before, hey? 100%, yeah. Right, let's switch gears and talk about Lucky and it's really set the scene, but Lucky is a kid. So tell us a bit yeah. about, where did you grow up? Where did you go to high school? Did you okay. finish high school? Yeah, like, this what is were cool. the motivations? How did you get into training? All that good stuff. So, um, you know, I was born, I was a mistake when I was born, right? So that forced my two uh, parents to get married, right? And they divorced quite early on. My mother moved back in with her parents and they basically raised me up until the age of 10. So she had nothing to do with me. Um, and then they moved out, they gave my mother the house. And at that point, she had the responsibility of me and she had never done that before. So she, she was really toxic. It was a really toxic environment. It was abusive. And I, looking back at it upon reflection and knowing what I know now, I was just a kid going through it. I never had anyone cooking me meals, asking me how I was going, anything like that. I was neglected and then abused. When I say abuse, I'm talking emotionally, psychologically, and a couple of times physically, but more so verbally and emotionally. It was really bad. I have zero relationship with that woman, but she was always abusive. And as I got older, it actually got worse. Uh, at school, I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, kids in, that, in those environments, they act up in school. That's their way of expressing themselves because they don't know any other way of expressing themselves. And I was a larrikin, that's how I, developed, I guess, a coping mechanism to deal with what I was going through. So I was, I was a larrikin at school. I was always playing up. I was never getting to fights or anything, but I was always getting in trouble. And it got to a point where I think it was year nine. Um, you know, the, the coordinator caught up my mother and she goes, I don't give a fuck. Sorry, I try not to swear. She goes, I don't, I don't care. He can deal with, with his own shit, right? That'll give you an example of how much he just didn't care. Um, you know, when I say that, I didn't even get cooked meals. I never had one cooked meal or a hug or any, even how are you? If I was ever crying, if she came up and I was crying, I remember she'd say things like, what the, why the fuck are you crying for? So there's nothing there. There was no emotional attachment at all. Um, so I just got through it. And maybe would have got into this question later, why did I start bodybuilding? And I really honestly think that it was a coping mechanism. 
because bodybuilding gave me something to focus on. I had nothing else. So what, how old were you when you got into okay, bodybuilding? Okay, so you know like how you're a teenager and you know you and the boys kind of lift weights, look good for girls? Initially it started like that. You know, like 16 years old, and <laughs> this is really funny. I'm 16 years old. I found some weights in the garage from my uncles because that house I was living in, my uncles grew up in as well. So there was a barbell, like maybe 20 kilos worth of weights and those dumbbells, one dumbbell that had like the screws. Remember those ones? Yeah. yeah. yeah so like I, I do the same workout every night. And I remember one time I tried doing legs. This is a really funny story. I tried doing legs. So I'm squatting, I'm repping out. And I thought I had no energy to take the bar off. So I thought, oh, I'm going to get on my knees and put the bar on the bed. And what's going to happen? Like the, the weights would sink and I'm stuck on the bed. It was hilarious. That's how I started. But then um, one of my friends turned 18 before I did. He was driving. And then we got memberships at Mike's Gym in Dandenong, which is now Doherty's Dandenong. And that was like, you know, we went from training in some little, it was like a 20 minute walk from our school. And it was these tennis courts and upstairs they had this tiny gym, which was like, it was tiny. It was really, really small. But every day after school, like 10 of us would go there and train for three hours literally three hours and I remember like during school I was so I loved it so much that I wouldn't study or do classwork I'd like write down programs and stuff like that and a workout could be like eight exercises for chest had no idea what I was doing but I got serious when I people started noticing my progress at the gym older blokes and for the first time in my life I had people who were supporting me so when was the first time you picked up a weight when I was 16. 16? Yeah. And then you started getting serious about what, 18? When I went to Mike's gym. So older blokes started seeing my progress and they started supporting me. And I never had that before. So look, put yourself in the shoes of like a 17 or 18 year old. Never had any support from anyone, ever. And then all of a sudden, you know, you got these older blokes and everyone's getting behind you. And you know, I, I fed off it, it felt good. For the first time in my life, I had people, you know, uh, supporting me with something that I seemed to have been good at. It's almost like this is the first thing I'm ever good at and there are guys supporting me. So um, that pushed me on to think about competing because everyone's like, dude, you're one of the best you know, guys at 17, 18 that I've ever seen. Because I developed pretty quickly. And again, I was, was natural. Specific? Who, who... Just a lot of blokes at the gym. You know, at one stage, you know, when I kind of um, you know, started getting more serious, I started gravitating towards more uh, more older blokes at the gym for friends and I started kind of like moving away from, from my friends from school because at that stage we're all 18 and they were going clubbing every weekend and they were getting to drugs at that stage and I wasn't and they were getting to fights a lot and I thought this isn't really for me so at one point in my life when I was like 19 to like 21 uh, the guys that I was hanging out socially were older blokes from the gym and I, I really developed quickly at that stage and I did my first comp at 19, which was coincidentally, the f I think the first comp you did. Yeah. So you were a junior and I was a teenager. Well, no, that was the, the second comp. Okay. So I yeah. can go into that story a little yeah. bit actually, and I will. Um, so the first comp I did was in 2004. Yeah. I came, uh, 
last out of a yeah. lineup of eight. I was that guy on stage that shouldn't have been on stage. Yeah. I had yeah. a really, really bad experience so you my came first back show. And, redeemed yourself. and, and yeah. that was the thing in 2005. I was like, I need to compete again. So one of my friends said I should hit up Tony Doherty. And uh, so I did. And he helped me with my prep that yeah. year. And I competed at the IMBA. And then I competed yeah. at the, the IFBB. And I remember at the IFBB show, there were a bunch of people saying, don't compete. You're going to look out of place. And yeah. I remember it was like three days out of the show. I called Tony and said, hey, Tony, look, I can't compete. And he goes, what do you mean you can't compete? You look great. Yeah. And he goes, oh, no, everyone's telling me I can't. And he said, no, you can compete. I'm like, I'm really sorry, I can't compete. Went to the gym, super bummed out. And one of my friends was said was there, was like, what are you doing? Why aren't you competing? Oh, everyone said I shouldn't. He goes, fuck that, man. Can I ask a question? Did you allow other people's opinions to influence how you felt? To what? say that to him? Or did you feel that self-doubt yourself within yourself? Well, I think I really wanted to compete and do okay. Tony's show. Yeah. And even just to have a crack, yeah. right? And um, then when everyone started, you know, that last week of comp, yeah. your carb depleted, yeah. you're not thinking straight, it's you don't have your... Period. It is a very yeah. vulnerable period. And if you don't have the, the support network there, you can you know, go off the beaten track. Anyway, I had that support network talked me up. And then anyway, it, pretty much two hours or whatever was later, I called up Tony and said, I'm really, really sorry. I shouldn't have let these people affect me. I'll yeah. be at your show. I'll compete. Yeah. And it was a really great experience for me because I competed at that show, I remember you, um, you were a teen, I was a junior, and everyone's like, oh, have you seen this lucky kid? He's only, I think, 17 or 18. How old were you? I was, uh, you know what, it's funny, when you told me that on the phone the other day, I can't believe that, because I, I was a teenager, I was 70 kilos, and I had, I, from my perspective, I really had nothing. You know, I was lean, but I, was, I, had, I had no muscle, and you could see my spine from the rear. You could literally see my You had smile. a great physique. Yeah, maybe, great, maybe great, great shape, teenage you know, physique. Yeah, the shape the, was great. Yeah. And I remember everyone going, oh, this lucky kid, yeah. you know, he's the next big thing. Can I just and say look at you him. looked great that day as well. Thank you. Yeah. I, I was on the dumbest diet I've ever been on to get onto that show. The diet that I was doing that then was uh, 50 egg whites a day. That was my, that was yeah, my yeah, food. Yeah, yeah. I was getting some pretty uh, shady advice, but it was 50 egg whites a day made up as an omelette with some vegetables. I felt like absolute crap that day. And anyway, I, I came second to, um, I beat, beat someone, Pete Ryan Underwood when he was a, he was a junior. Shout, shout out to Ryan Underwood. I tell you what, that guy's a beast. Yeah, he's an absolute beast, he's a beast. beast. Yeah. Um, so for me, that was, a, you know, it wasn't a first place, but the second place was, you know, you, you don't suck at this so much. Yeah, you know, yeah. you can actually hang in there and, so and you, you can do something. I, I was, I was, I was happy as a pig in shit like with seconds. I was happy at yeah. second of the nationals. Yeah, yeah. I was really happy yeah. with seconds. And I was happy with how I looked because, you know, the year prior, I, I really didn't. Also, let's just say you were natural doing an untested federation. That's yeah. pretty cool. That's yeah, and that, that, yeah. Was, that was great for me. So yeah, um, yeah that was how I, I first met you and then yeah. seeing, you know, my path kind of led me to more PT focused business and training. And then you really got into the, yeah. the bodybuilding and, and hardcore. So yeah, absolutely great. So I don't know where we were with that, but um, what kept you, I mean, for me, I competed once twice more in 2007 and then pretty much haven't put on the trunks again. To be honest with you, bodybuilding has never, I, I can, I've can done six shows and it's never really spoken to me. I haven't really, well, I've never really enjoyed the process and I haven't enjoyed the stage either. Yeah. So I know for a lot of people though, I can't wait to get up on stage. Yeah. I can't yeah. wait to show what I've got. For me, I'm like, nah, I'd rather lift something. Yeah, so yeah. for me, powerlifting, strongman, oh, that yeah. calls my name yeah, more yeah. so than the stage. But what, what kept you Just going? quickly, it's okay. funny you say that. Like, I've done both now. I haven't done strongman, but I've done powerlifting. And if I enjoy the, pro, enjoy the process of the journey for me with bodybuilding, but the day is often for me, because I've got this, the insecurity and the self-doubt, it's spilling over. So for me, the day is horrible. Horrible. Until it's done, right? It's, it's horrible. I want to 
you know, when my coach saw me at the Vicks, I wanted to put, and like he took a photo of me, because he came, uh, I had to go there early on to get uh, tanned and register, and not register, but do the competitors meeting. And then he came a little bit later, and then he goes, I need to see you. And I said, of course. Uh, I was nervous. I thought, you know, oh, I've lost it, I'm smaller, I'm softer. And then he's like, you're fine. And he took a photo and I actually saw a glimpse of the photo. And it wasn't a very flattering photo. And I wanted to go straight home. The only th I knew I had to stay there to get through it because so many people had come to see me. But if it was up to me, if I was someone who didn't have anyone going to see him, I think I would have gone home. I'll be honest with you. It's that support network that's so integral. Yeah, but more so it was the fact that so many people had come to see me and I knew that I'd, I'd posted online. If I had gone home, I would look like an idiot. If I stayed and didn't look good, I knew that I'd still be received well because where I've come from, hey, he's come from being a depressed, suicidal, thwarted, you know, drug addict, not leaving his room for two months. And then in 10 months time, he's competed again. That's great. And I knew that it'd be great for business. Um, but obviously when you're competing, you want to do, you want to do really well and you want to look good. And I just thought, I don't look good. Well, sometimes you need to do that. You need to stack the deck in such a way that you, you it's so much more painful not to go through with it yeah. than to back out. Yeah, to face and, it. Yeah. And you know what, if I was to be honest, I kind of got a little bit of that feeling with today's podcast, because this is the most professional thing I've ever done, <laughs> right? I've done three podcasts. This one here is a professional setup. And I was so, I was so, much, I was so nervous coming here that I kind of had that feeling where I thought, oh man, this is gonna be, uh, this is a struggle like to commit to this. But I know that once I do it, I'm gonna get over it. I'm gonna get through it. I'll be proud of myself for doing it. And then I'll be able to do it again any other time. Mm. And it also sets a new record of where you're at. So anything below that is now a lot easier. Exactly, so, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's like you've, you've evolved. So let's get yeah. back into your story. Yes, All right, so, you, so 2007, your, no, 2005 was when you yeah. did, the, the, first did comp. the first comp. Then you kind of skyrocketed, and I know I can only speak for me, I'm not hardcore into the bodybuilding yeah. world. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm an observer, I'm a coach, I help people get into that, and even right now I'm not coaching anyone. Uh, it's mainly my team here at Enterprise who, who do, well, it is all my team at Enterprise who do all the coaching, so I'm not hardcore into that world. But for me, as I'll say, as almost as an outsider, almost insider-outsider, to me, it seemed that you were on the fast track to being you know, a top amateur and possibly even someone who you would think, oh yeah, he'll probably maybe even get his pro card one day that's if what he people, continues. That's what people were thinking and that's what my goal was. Did I think um, I could achieve it? I thought I could, but I knew that I could do nothing as a pro. I knew, that, I knew my genetic limitations. So my, what my goal was, was to win my pro card in Australia and I knew at that point, for me, that was it. Because I knew that uh, competing as a pro, I would not get anywhere. And I knew that it would be uh, just a bad investment. Like, yeah, it would be a bad investment if I, if I tried to pursue a pro career, I wouldn't get anywhere. And when I say investment, it, it's, it's an investment. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a financial investment. And it's also, I personally believe, uh, some bodybuilders may not like to hear me saying this, I personally think you're, your, it's a risk as well. So in saying in, that... In, the, in, in terms of your health as well. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's not a, a natural thing or the yeah, body wants to be, you know, 110, yeah. 120, 140 kilos, you know, yeah. walking around what at you have to do 5% to, yeah, body fat. There, yeah. that's, uh, that's, that's an absolute, yeah. uh, you know, unbelievable ask of the body. And you yeah. see the pros, you know, once they get off state, you know, once they stop competing, they, they yeah. shrink, they get a lot smaller. You know, they don't lose everything. Obviously, yeah. they still look, look 
fine, perfectly fine. But and that's the ones that actually make it to that point. Let's yeah, not forget grows. about the ones that lose their life before that point. Mm, that's true. You I know, so many, like I love bodybuilding. I'm really passionate about bodybuilding. And it saddens me to know how many bodybuilders that I really admired from, from my favorite era is like the 90s, right? How many of these guys have passed away? That, so that hurts, going man. in with that, you was know? that a self-defeating prophecy? So, I mean, because is in, I think it was 2012 or 13 that you won the All States where you felt that like you were... 2010. Kind of, it's 2010, right? So, is in, you, you, old Lucky, for example, yeah. he set this goal of being a pro, but then now, you know, Lucky 2.0 now knows that that's probably not a goal that is a rational goal in the sense yeah. of being holistic for his whole life. You are so so yeah. was that at the time a self-defeating prophecy of, well, if I actually achieve this, my life is actually going to go backwards. Did you, would you have that awareness then? Or? No, at that time, I had that goal of just, I wanted to be the best bodybuilder in the country. Um, that's, that, that was my, what was going through my head at that time. But I also knew that because I was PTing and coaching, the better I did on stage, just translated to a better business, a more successful business. Um, and the better I was doing, my business was growing. And I knew that if I could, if I could get that pro card, uh, this is, this is, the, this is the, uh, the phrase I used, I'd be printing money. Because you can charge whatever you want. Because people, you know, a lot of these pros will charge one, I'm talking Australian pros, they'll charge 150 a personal training session and they're getting it. They're getting booked out as well. Because people see you as the guy that they want to be and they think, they think that, hey, this guy must know something that I don't know. I want to go see that guy. And as I was getting better at, as an amateur, I was, again, I was attracting a lot more clients who were competitive bodybuilders. You know, I, I had people coming from interstate to see me. Seriously. It happened probably half a dozen times. And I saw that as like, wow, this is huge. This person has come interstate to train with me for a week. What an awesome, you know, that, that felt awesome. And I, I'm the kind of guy as well where, um, you know, when people, when a couple of the dudes did that, I let, allowed them to stay with me because I just thought these guys come interstate, paid for a flight, right, and a taxi, you know, and I, I couldn't even charge them. A couple of the guys, so they stayed with me, and I changed them for free simply because they'd come interstate to train with me. I thought, man, that's that's cool. That makes me feel really cool. So I kind of, I wanted to reward that in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, actually, next week, we've got a guy coming from Canada. Wow. For, uh, yeah, we've had now actually an enterprise. So I've had, I've had people come from the state. You've got them coming from yeah. across oceans. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I suppose the point guys watching this, I'll just make a point of it as well. I know when I was at my peak with coaching, I did have a lot of people from interstate come in. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, the thing that I would say is that it's not necessarily synonymous that you've got to be a pro to, to do that. I think really it comes back but down to But you built that. Level of results. You've been, for, the, for those viewers that don't know, Marcus trained literally hundreds of people, mostly females, to uh, very successfully. Well, competitors, yes. Yeah, competitors, yeah, females, I mean. definitely. Hundreds. Um, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's now, I mean, if you look at all of Enterprise, there has been. That's massive. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, it, it's big and it is absolutely right. It is, it is very cool. Um, but what I wanted to get into now was the, the downward spiral okay. of things. So what was the peak? Let's talk highs and lows. And before we do that, if I can just get Jaden just to close the door because there's a little bit of interference in the background. Um, but yeah, let's talk highs and lows. Your, your highest height, I think we've spoken a little bit about it. I think you won the belts that Craig Lucas. No, no, no. So Craig, no, no. Craig Lucas ran the country classic. So in 2005, when we competed, uh, I overdieted for that comp. I was given a chicken and broccoli diet with no salt and cutting out protein powders, all that kind of stuff. I, I think I weighed 70 kilos because I over-dieted. So the next year, I weighed 80 kilos, still natural. 
um, only I think I dieted more effectively and I won Craig Lucas's Country Classic as a junior. Then four weeks later, I won the NABBA Australia Championships as a junior and I got, um, I got a trip to go overseas to compete at the, at the NABBA Universe. And you've got to think, a young guy who was never good at anything, was ne not, not good at school, you know, I, going back to school, I failed year 10, had to repeat it, and then I only did year 12 simply because my grandma called me up crying when she found out that I wanted to leave. The only reason why I did it was to make her happy. Now, because I had failed year 10, it meant I was 18 in year 12 and I was driving. So year 12 was one of the best years of my life. You know, um, year 12 for me was, you know, um, horsing around with my friends and girls. That's all it was. I was clubbing in year 12, you know? Not every night, not every night, but we would go during the week, some, some, a lot of weeks. Um, where was I going with that? The, the downward spiral, the highs, highs. Yeah, okay, well, just going back to the comps. Yeah, so I did the, I, I went overseas. So put, let's put things in perspective, right? I've never achieved anything, never done anything, never had any support from home, and all of a sudden I'm on stage, and the, Graham Lansfield, the promoter and MC, is announced that, you know, the judges have thought so good of Lucky that we want to send him overseas to represent Australia. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. You know, so I did that. And that the comp, I think, was the comp that made me think, hey, man, I'm onto something here. And that just, that's what really made me, like, think, this is what I want to do now. And I think I've got a chance to go far. Because, again, I went to the NABBA Universe. This is the same comp that Arnold Schwarzenegger did and won. This is huge. And then after that, because I knew Graham Lancelot told me, hey, we want you for, you know, NABBA for the next three years. You can go to the universe. I, I gave it a year off. And because I was going to the NABBA universe and not going up against natural guys, I thought, this is my rationale. Now I'm 21 and I'm thinking, I don't want to go to the NABBA universe or the NABBA worlds as a natural anymore. That's the first year I used uh, performance enhancing drugs. And then I, I, I actually won in 2008 the junior class and the overall. And that for me was like, okay, you know, I've, I've kind of, I've made a, a statement here through my achievement. And that's, that's the progression of, uh, my, of, of my career, I guess, and how things just got better. And that made me think, I think I've got more of a chance here. And then the support came. And as you know, when you're successful, more people are coming around you. And that's when the, the pressure and expectation actually started. Then I competed again in 2010. I did really well, won an overall again. This is two in a row now. I won the Australasia, and then the following year was the pro qualifier. That's, this is it now, don't forget. The goal was to go pro. Now this is the first show that I'm doing for that. This is the pro card now. And it was uh, myself, Luke Timms, and a large vegan Indian called Varinda Singh. So weighed about 125 kilos, right? I'm the smallest guy on stage. I knew I was off. Uh, from my perspective, I got, I got slaughtered on stage. But when I saw the footage, I could kind of see, okay, I can see how he had me, but I can also see that I've got a lot of potential here to do well. Um, and I try, like, I actually contacted Luke, so Luke Timms beat me. I contacted Luke Timms's coach, who you may know, John Davey, uh, to coach me. Because I thought, you know what? He helped Luke to win. And he, John Davey was a pro himself. That's the direction I want to go down. I've taken myself as far as I can go, where to now? 
So some people think that my downward spiral started after I lost to Luke Timms. It didn't. I was even more motivated, like coming second or third, well, there's no placing. It was, here's, here's the pro card, the other two people, there's no placing. It's just first, that's it. For me though, not winning was no problem. It motivated me. Like I was, then the very next day I was putting a plan together. So I trained for like another year after that. And I actually, you know, you, you asked me earlier, how do you compete knowing you can't win? Well, that following year, I was training for the 2012 Pro Qualifier. I was about eight weeks out and I found out that a guy called Abraham was competing. Do you know Abraham? I remember that guy. Okay. He was the like 140. For, for, you, for the viewers yeah. that don't know who Abraham is, this guy competed at 125 kilos. This, you know now you are not going to win. That guy, he, he looks like a pro. There's no one else who's going to even come close. Now, you know, when I mentioned earlier about being a pro in the investment, there's also a financial investment that goes into trying to become a pro. And I just weighed it all up and I thought to myself, I can't win. What's the point of going through this? I can't even, I don't even get a place and I get no trophy. What's the point of doing this? So I did, that's the first show I pulled out of, right? Because I just thought there's no point and I was investing a lot of money each week into this. I thought there's no point. So I pulled out and I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to take a couple of weeks off training. A couple of weeks turned into eight years, right? Now, if we look at the downward spiral, that first year, that, that first couple of weeks extended, right? Things are still good. I was still working and everything. But then I started using recreational drugs. So I, had, I was living this really, um, this really disciplined lifestyle for like eight years. Literally, I done, hadn't done any drugs or anything like that. Then all of a sudden, like, I can do what I want now. This almost feels good. So it started with recreational drugs. Uh, it was cocaine. Um, and I got pretty, there were some stages where I got pretty bad on that. Um, and that was 2000 and end of 2012, 2013. And then I realized, I didn't know at the time, but without that disciplined lifestyle, my life went downhill. I, I needed the discipline to keep me on a positive track. Without it, without the training, without having go specifically goals, that's what it comes down to. Because so I realized my life was on track when I had a goal, and then by the, when I stopped competing, I didn't actually have any goals. You know, when you, you know when you're contest prepping, or maybe when you're prepping someone, you may know this, you're so disciplined that that discipline and all those, um, all those qualities and characteristics that come with doing a prep, they spill over into other areas of life. Then you become disciplined with everything else. Well, it's like Jocko Wil uh, Wilkins. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's one of the guys that I came across online, and he, you know what's great about him? He tells it like it is. Yeah, discipline leads yeah. to freedom. Exactly. And without yeah. discipline, you yeah. have no freedom. Yeah. And it almost seems counterintuitive, but it's absolutely true. You need that no, routine no, so to true. keep you on track to actually, you know, whether it's financial freedom or having yeah. success over your yeah. body or, uh, I suppose, sovereignty over your domain, yeah. is that, you know, I like using finances as an example. Unless you learn how to save your money, yeah. unless you learn the difference between the haves and have nots, you will always and forever be a slave to money. 100%. It's only until you go, right, well, this is what I'm going to do with the money. This is where I'm going to spend my money. I'm not going to spend my money here and actually be actively engaged in that. that you, that's when you actually have the freedom, but that yeah. comes through discipline. Yeah. And it's the same thing with, with training and health and fitness and when helping someone with a healthy lifestyle, it's, you know, you can't eat cheeseburgers every day. You can't just eat whatever you want and shovel whatever you want into your, your gob because you're going to end up fat, tired, overweight, and, you know, probably diseased as well. 
So there has to be a discipline and structure and routine around that. So just to recap on that, what year was it when Abe came on stage? Okay, so that, that pro qualifier was the 2012. So in 2012, and then you didn't train. So I, I stopped training about six weeks or eight weeks before March of 2000, it was still in 2000, it was end of 2011. That's when I stopped training. And things, I think I would say 2012 wasn't a, necessarily a bad year for me, but I was doing a lot of recreational drugs on weekends and things like, I was still working and everything. Um, I was still doing drugs on, recreational drugs on weekends and stuff like that. Um, if, when things started really spiraling, I think it was more 2013. That's when, again, not having a goal, not having discipline, and things just started to spiral. Um, bad relation, negative, toxic relationships as well, uh, not knowing how to deal with things. And then um, it just, it really progressively got really bad. But then between 2013 and 2000, end of 2017, that's a period of my life that I, I call, you know, if I was to write a memoir, that was the dark years. Um, but you know what's really fascinating about the dark years? And this is true, this is legitimately, genuinely true. That's when I learned the most about myself. So prior to what that- What did you learn about yourself? Everything. I, I, I wasn't introspective before that point. So, what, so in, in terms of what you're saying uh, with that uh, is- Okay, understanding yourself, so your actions and behaviors and, and why you are the way you are. Prior to that, would you say, and this is just a pure mind read on yeah. things, prior to that, you're winning these contests, yeah. you're, you're on top, you know, it's like, yeah, life's good, narcissistic behaviors, then it kind of, the dream gets shattered by this 125 kilo monster yeah. who just says, mate, it doesn't matter how hard you work, this title, this is coming yeah, home yeah, with yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. You go, holy shit, what am I doing with my life? Well, no, I just actually plan on taking two weeks off and then continuing training. That didn't, that didn't actually end up happening. So like, it wasn't like I was shattered. It was just like, there's no point in me continuing to make this investment, I can't win this. And what I'd done is that's the first point where I was honest with myself and I said to myself, okay, let's have a look. How Abe's gonna win this. How many other people are in my way to win this? So like there were guys like Luke Shembury. There were, there were so many other guys in the country that I knew would, that would be doing the pro qualifier. I, tr I try to work out, all right, I can't beat him if he did it. I can't beat him if he did it. And I, this, this is my rationale. I worked out the guys that would beat me that were currently competing. And it got to like four years later, if they all won, then I thought to myself, there's only Scott Goble left and it'd be me and him. And in four years time, I think I'd be, bet I'd be good enough to beat him. I hope Scott's watching this. Yeah, that was depending <laughs> on if no one new came out. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I thought about yeah. it. And I thought, because again, it's, when I say it's a big investment, I'm talking tens of thousands of dollars. This is what I'm, so like to, I don't, I don't want to go too much into that side of things, but the investment that I'm talking about is for a contest prep, if you want to become pro, you're not looking at a few hundred dollars or a few thousand. We're looking at tens of thousands now, right? That's, this is the reality of things. This is the reality of if you want to go for your pro card, this is what you're spending. So for me, let's put things in perspective now, right? And again, I should probably mention this, right? Right now, I'm, I'm a, few, I'm a few weeks out. I'm eight weeks out. You know what? Now that we're talking about it, things are coming to me, right? It's I'm, also the coffee, I gotcha. I'm eight weeks out. I am investing tens of thousands into this contest prep, right? And if I was to be completely vulnerable and honest here, this is the moment that it stopped, right? 
I developed scar tissue in certain areas from intramuscular injections and I just couldn't put anything in, right? Not only that, right? I thought to myself, here I am doing what I'm doing. I'm living at mum's. Let's say I win this pro card. I'm getting back in my shit box of a car and I'm driving back to mum's, which is an environment that I hate that's killing me. I'm st and it, my rationale back then was to achieve what I need to achieve or what I want to achieve, I have to be, I have to live here because all I was like, I would still pay, I would still contribute because I was earning more money than her. So I was paying all the bills and everything, but that was cheaper than renting on my own or buying. And at that time I was in a financial position to do that. My PT business was, I was doing 10 to 15 sessions a day, seven days a week. I was bringing money in, right? But knowing that like I would, I'll give you an example of what I would go through when I'm prepping for this pro card, right? It's all coming back to me now. I would come home from, from work at night, nine o'clock. I would open the door to come in. All I had to do was cook and go to sleep, right? I would open the door and I'd hear, shut the fuck up. I'm trying to fucking sleep. I try and cook and any noise I make, I'm getting screamed at. This is the environment I'm in. So I'm thinking, I've got to live here to win that title. It's going to cost me this much each year. And if I did win, I'm coming back to this toxic environment. I've got to get out of here. So I had reason to move out. And I, I thought, that's what I want to do now. So the moment that I couldn't, there was one moment, I tried to put some oil in, I couldn't put it in. I threw the needle on the ground. Two months later, I was living in my own place, renting of course, but I paid up front for five months. Renting, and within another couple of months, I had 30 grand saved. So that was the difference, and I felt happy doing that. This is like, let me tell you, when you live in a toxic environment with a parent, then you move out, you don't understand how much better you feel. It's all, I felt great. Well, it's like being a king in a castle, but having the folks still there. So you don't really have- Oh man, there's no king. I was, I was being destroyed in that house. Mm. It was really toxic. Well, who's really the-, the, the, the You know, ruler? and then I had, my, I had my own place and it felt really good. And that's, that was actually the moment that I stopped, right? But it, I didn't feel bad knowing that I couldn't win. It just, I accepted it. And I planned on still training. It's just the way things happen with not training, and because my body still looked really good, I thought, hey, I'm, I'm really fine not training. Two weeks extended, then that extended. Then there was the recreational drugs. Then there was a toxic relationship. And then it just spiraled without having that discipline. You know, the only time in my life that I ever had stability, seriously, was when I was contest prepping. Because I was focused on something. If I didn't have that, those years that I didn't compete in between that period of time that I was competing, were years that I didn't make progress in life. So it's almost like, uh, and again, I don't, I don't mean to be um, jumping the gun on yeah, this, but yeah. it's almost like, you know, Lucky is really good at competing, is really good at training, is really good at looking a certain way, and that's what he does. Yeah. And it's almost like, well, if you take the soul or the purpose uh, of living from Lucky, he doesn't have an anchor, he doesn't have a rut. He doesn't at the have time, that, at the time. Yeah, that life house. At the time, that's all I knew. Because I didn't have any, any mentor, mentors in any way. Had no parent. So you gotta think, this is a kid who's been neglected at home. He's got no one to show him direction. He's lost. Was there anyone who stepped up in your life as Not at say, all. a surrogate parent? Not at all. No, no yeah, trainers, I had, mentors? No, I had some, like, until, I, until I started competing. Um, you know, family members, uh, I'll give you an example, man. I've got an uncle, right? I've got aunties and uncles that are really great, right? But they were never really there when I was younger to help me in any way. I had an uncle tell me one Christmas when I actually became an adult, before I lost my shit. He goes, well, you know what, Lucky? You know, you know, the family is really happy that you turned out how you have, considering how fucked both your parents are. He's a family member telling me that now. Do you know what I mean? And when he told me that, 
That's when I was competing. So again, there's success coming my way. I was, I, had, I was PTing, successful business. All this came through the disciplined lifestyle of competing, and that's all I knew. It wasn't until I became older, after I, after I kind of sunk and became more self-aware, that I realized that, I realized it's the reality of life. You know, and I knew that, you know, I didn't necessarily need the bodybuilding to stay anchored. It was just, I need goals and I need to be disciplined. Ultimately, what I found it came down to was having goals to work towards. So would you say you, you hit rock bottom in that eight years? I couldn't have gotten any, like, I, I, I think, I'm, I can show vulnerability, right? But I think I don't, I'm not strong enough yet to uh, express the, the level of rock bottom that I was. It's, it's, it was nasty. And without getting into too much personal detail. Okay, what, the rock what... bottom for me was, before I made the commitment to myself to move forward and to start treating myself well, I, it, was la it was this time last year when I got out of it and two months prior, I hadn't left my room for two months. Legitimately, two months. What, what kept weeks. you in the room for two months? Drugs. Right. Yeah, that's escaping reality. And that was, if I was to be honest, that was meth and marijuana. Right. But using them both in a toxic way, right? Uh, I, wanted to, I didn't even want to be here anymore. The only thing literally keeping me here was my dog. Because again, I didn't have anyone. And again, two doors down was the woman that gave birth to me that she knew what I was doing, didn't give a shit. And for anyone who's, uh, who has parents that neglected them and legitimately didn't give a shit about them and abused them, it leaves an emptiness inside you. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's something, unless you've experienced it, you don't know. So were the drugs a way of it's simply escaping. The void? Escape escaping. wasn't even that's a void it. filler. It was an that's, escape. That's all it was. Right. And possibly a void filler. And it's funny you mention that because in that period of time, I spent a lot of time on YouTube and the internet. So when I did my drugs, it wasn't recreationally, apart from when I was doing cocaine. When I was doing the really bad stuff, it was on my own. I would acquire what I need and I would go to my bedroom. I would lock myself away, dark room. But that's it. I didn't want to, it was literally escaping reality. That's all it was. But when you say filling a void, I remember once coming across an interview with Mike Tyson and he spoke about his drug addiction. And what he said was exactly what I said. When you have, he goes, he goes, it felt like I was trying to fill a hole inside me. Like a, it was like a bottomless pit. He goes, no matter how much drugs I put in there, I couldn't fill that void. And he goes, what that void was, was a love that I never had from my parents. And you know what? Prior to that, that's why I loved being on YouTube. I come across all this information that helped me. When he said that, it hit me. Hey, shit, man, I can relate to this. So again, does that make sense? It, it does. Yeah. And what I want to just kind of springboard off from, because I know people are going to be watching this on YouTube. Yeah. It is such a relatable story. So my hope is that you know this hits the people who it needs to hit if they're in troubled times and your story has some relatability and can put someone, uh, pick someone out of a dark hole as you pick yourself out up. What advice to the YouTube watchers of this, you know, where you've been, how, how did you pick yourself up and what advice would you give? It was hard. You know, it was really hard. I kind of felt like, I knew that I didn't necessarily have, I was confused if I had an addiction or not, because I chose when to do it or not. I literally chose when to do it or not. It wasn't an everyday, it was never an everyday thing, but then there were times when I would, what I describe as destroying myself, and it would take a catalyst, there would be a catalyst. Something would happen on an emotional level, say something in a relationship would, would fail, or, or I'd be feeling vulnerable, then my mum would, would go off at something over nothing, and then bang, you know, I would then just, just decide, no, I'm gonna get on it. You know what I mean? And sometimes it might be just for a day or two. Uh, other times it was, it was worse, it would be a couple of weeks. 
um, but what, what I would say to people, it's you only have one life and it's really up to you. And I think we all deserve better. And I think what keeps, I, I can't talk for everyone, but for me personally, um, I was really afraid. This is what I thought when I was, when I got really introspective, I thought, what is keeping me, what is holding me back? It was not having value for myself. because I, 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 no one helped me develop that. It was destroyed. When you have two parents who are abusive and emotionally, there's nothing there and they're literally abusive and telling you you're a piece of shit. I had my mom telling me no one loves you. This is when I was growing up. So if your own mom doesn't love you, then who does? You can't even love yourself, you know? So, um, what was I going with that? Picking people up out of the hole. Yeah, yeah I, know, I know that, but um, I had to kind of firstly accept that. For, to get over where I was, I had to accept this woman doesn't give a shit about you, right? But, you know, I was afraid. You gotta think, kid, when you're a kid growing up, you've got your parents disciplining you for life. They're setting you up for life. I had no one to set me up for life. I didn't have the skills or abilities to face life. And I feel that that was something that was really holding me back. It was facing life. And that's something that like guys like Jordan Peterson talk about, actually facing life. And you know, what was good about Jordan Peterson, and you mentioned him earlier, when I came across him, he was like one of the biggest influences. I even bought his book, right? Uh, because I, I, I love him. You know, he, he, he would explain what's wrong with you. I could relate to this. He would explain why. I'm like, hey man, I can relate to this. And then he would explain, not even explain, he'll tell you. And you know how he talks. It's like blunt, this is it. This is what's wrong with you, this is why, and this is what you gotta do. And it's up to you. Now go so clean, was now, it, was it hey, hold on. Now go clean your room. Yeah, first you know what I mean? advice, yeah. Now Stand go clean straight your room. with your shoulders back. That's discipline, yeah. keeping your room clean. If you're a reflection of your room, you know, well then, you have a tidy room. If someone's got a tidy room, you know what, they're gonna have, they're gonna have a pretty, their life will look a lot better than someone's got a messy room. Not all the time, but we could probably agree that most of the time. Well, it's that saying, you know, I suppose in neurolinguistic programming, NLP and personal development, it's how you do one thing is how you do everything. Yeah, and yeah. You know, it's the attention to the details, the, the devil's in the detail yeah. and you know, self-respect, the way you dress, the way all those things. And maybe they're not always interrelated so much, yeah, but th there is are. a huge, yeah. huge amount where it is. You know, but if you can't control your, your own personal domain, yeah. then you know, what do you have? The thing is, with, with rock bottom, what comes with that is uh, a lot of shame. Uh, you have no confidence in yourself, but the shame aspect of things, value for yourself, and you have no, like the confidence thing's huge. I actually lost the confidence in myself to even work. I was, I was calling myself a shit trainer, all these things, even though I had so much success with a lot of my clients, right? So like, you have to develop, by setting little tiny goals, even just by cleaning the room, going for a walk, these little, little achievements build yourself up again. Because when you're rock bottom and you, and you allowed yourself to really hit rock bottom with drugs, you see yourself, or I did anyway, as a piece of shit. So how did you make the transition? I made, a, I made a commitment to myself. I, like, you know what, with me, I knew that I... Was it a moment where you said something happened where you're like... Yeah, you know this. Yeah. yeah, do you want to talk about it? Yeah, yeah, go okay, for it. Okay, I'm happy to talk about it. So the moment, the catalyst, there's always catalysts. There was catalysts for me to destroy myself, but there was one catalyst for me to... No, this is it. This is the, this is the moment. And what that time was, it was... Um, I remember it was like a Sunday. It was a sunny day. 
and the guy that I would acquire my drugs from came around on his push bike. This someone, and again, in this scene, you got people to, to pretend you to be your friends, you know, this kind of thing. And I knew he wasn't a friend, but I went to school with him. And he came over and he's in my room and police knocked on the door. I, I didn't know it was police until I went to the door. And the front door wouldn't open. So I said, guys, you gotta come around the side. I went and greeted them. And they said, is that your, your push bike at the front? I said, no, nah, but I can go get the guy who it is. He was a drug dealer. Now when, uh, I don't like calling my mum, so we're just gonna call her Maria. That's more comfortable for me. When Maria saw that they were there, she came out and she said to him, you gotta leave now. Understandably, and that's cool, I accept that. Now she doesn't talk to me, or never did, unless she's yelling or screaming or if she needed something. And she knocked on my door the next day and she goes, you can tell your friend you can come back now. And that killed me. Because deep down I was always felt like, I felt like there's a woman, there's two doors down, I wish you would save me. That's how I felt deep down. I know it sounds silly to some people, that was what was, what was going on through my head when I was in that state of mind. And when she said that and she closed the door, I literally like fell to the floor and I'm crying now. You know, like, like you know when you cry, then you got like sobbing, I'm sobbing now. And then I just stood up and I said to myself, this woman doesn't give a shit about me. And I've got to, I've got to pull my, I've got to, I want to, it wasn't, it was, I am not, this is what I said, I remember now. I said, I'm not going to let her win. That's what it was. Because I felt in my head at that time, again, you got to think, someone's on drugs, is slightly, it could be slightly or extreme altered state of mind with the way you're rationalizing things, right? I saw it as she knew what I was doing this whole time. She could see that I'm not showering, doing anything, right? Not going to work. She doesn't care. She's now enabling this behavior. And then when that happened, I'm not smart enough to know what the right word was, but I kind of felt like she was pushing for it now. Not enabling, she's now, a, she wants me to, you know, she's, she wants me to do it. Hey, tell your drug dealer, you can come back. So you can, so you can spend more time in your room. And I got to a point where like, my money was dwindling, right? My money was dwindling and I knew that like, okay, if I'm gonna be continuing to eat food, I can't do that, and that was cool. But that was the last time that he, so it all kind of came together well in a way. Um, when she said that and I said, no, I'm not gonna let you win. From that moment is when I stopped, right? So what, what were some of the actionable, tangible things that you did after okay. that? Okay, so it, like I'd, <laughs> I had, cause I hadn't been to the gym in a few months where I was working and I knew everyone, hadn't left my room. I actually developed like, you could say social anxiety, right? So I couldn't go out. So I firstly started going for walks around the block. To be honest with you, it wasn't around the block. The walks that I was doing first was that drug dealer guy owed me money. And he wasn't, I needed that money for food, right? He wasn't answering my phone calls and I knew where he lived, right? And I went to his house a couple times and his, his grandma answered. He got his grandma to answer and I knew he was there. And I thought, I'm the kind of guy she acted all upset that I was there. I thought, I'm not gonna knock on this door anymore, even though I know he's a coward in the back room, right? So what I would do is I'd, every morning or I would walk past his house. He had a park across the road. I would do stretches, hoping that I'd see him because I really wanted my money, right? And I wanted to tell him how disappointed I was in him because he ripped me off, that he had ripped me off when he was pretending to be my friend. So I went for these walks every day and those walks, you know, got me active again. I would go to the supermarket when it wasn't busy. Now to get back in the gym, I was going at times that wasn't busy in the morning, just so I could actually be there 
there's no one else there. And I was quite fortunate that um, I, had, I had one former client that I knew would train with me again. As soon as I messaged him, I messaged him and I said, hey, VJ, you're competing this year. And he goes, only if you're, if you're training me. And I was like, I'm not gonna, I was like, yes, that's money coming in. I knew if I have one client, in time I'll get more. So like it was, I only charged him a hundred bucks for the week at that time because he was really young. He was like a teenager and he, he's actually an asylum seeker from Afghanistan. So I really wanted to help him, right? Um, and I trained him for two years. He won all these comps. So he'd come back with me and that kind of gave me a reason to go back at night. And I won't lie to you guys, it was really hard to go back to the gym at night because I felt like, I felt shame. Do you know what I mean? And I felt I'm going back, I'm looking a lot skinnier. Everyone's gonna ask, where you been? What do I say? So I had to lie. You know, like I told some people I went away, I went on a holiday, I told other people I was sick. You know what I mean? Because there's shame that's attached to that. And at the time, I couldn't be open like I am now. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I, I knew I could, I had to face myself. So, so I suppose in summary, the tangible steps is you just took one day at a time, really? Yes. Yeah, and yeah. then each day at a time, just a little bit more, a little bit more from, from a short walk now yeah. to a long walk to the supermarket. Go to the supermarket to when the it's gym. not. Well, that's if you've developed social, ang social anxieties. That's what I did. But what I found that really helped was just setting little goals. Tiny goal, really tiny goal. I'll tell you one, one goal that I set that for some people may sound really silly because it's nothing. I was going to the beach every day. I don't know what it is, right? I found I got some, I love being in the water and I got a really good energy from being in the water. I don't know what it was and I love going snorkeling. So I did this every single day. And at the beach I went to, one that was really close to me, um, it was Chelsea Beach and there was like, you know like how they have those light posts so that boats know? It was like probably like 100 meters away from the shore. I was really scared to like swim to it and back. And like I'd go halfway and I'd come back and I said, you know what, no, I'm gonna, there's no sharks or I'm not gonna, I'm gonna be able to come back. I'm gonna set myself a goal of going there, facing that fear, because I had a fear of going there and coming back and I'm gonna come back and I did it, right? I'm, I swear to you, right? When I did it, it was the first time I felt a little bit good about myself in a really long time. Simply from achieving something, I've got a fear, right? I'm gonna to go to that light post, go around it and come back. That was all it was. And it was the first little thing that I, that I so It was micro to. goals that you set exactly. along the way, to, way to, to achieve and yeah. build that self-confidence. So it was really just a process of it's micro It's way too hard for, to go from where you are, thinking that you're a piece of shit, literally, mm. thinking that you're a piece of shit, not even good enough for life, because I was once, I, was, had, I had one foot out the door. You know, so if it wasn't for my dog, I, I don't know what I, what I would have done. I was, look, to give you an idea of rock bottom, I could take out my phone right now and go to my web browser and I've still got it on there, I think. All the way up, if I scroll to one of the um, tabs I had, it was literally like researching how to commit suicide. That's the level that I was at. It's still on my phone, one of my old phones. I could, I could actually show you. That's, that's where I was. And I told myself, or I felt that, because I love my dog, beautiful husky, I said, I don't trust anyone else with her, right? And for that, like, for that, I love her, man. She's the only consistent thing in my life all these years, I couldn't leave her. So that, I'm staying. So, so in, in the process of actually getting clean from substance, so it sounds to me, from, from you getting clean, it really just started with an event that happened that you wanted to happen in a different way. And from that event, you went, right, no, no more. Yeah. I, I need to take control yeah. of this. You got in the driver's yeah. bus. 
uh, of your own life and then you said you know what it, it wasn't even a case of I'm addicted to this stuff anymore there was just yeah. I, I, this isn't even an issue yeah. this is a non-issue for me yeah. I'm not doing this anymore pretty much and then alright let's anymore. let's start setting yeah. micro goals and the first micro goal was just walking yeah. and then going to the beach and then the, the light post and then getting to the gym and then training and then setting the goal ultimately small, to it, was a, it was a small progression um, but I, I knew as well because I knew I, I'd Again, I'm a little bit confused if I was addicted to the substance of meth or not, because I chose when to do it and I chose when to stop. There was no rehab, there was nothing like that. There's been no relapses or anything like that. I just, in a way, I kind of feel if it was an addiction, I just changed it. So it went from- Plasticity. It went from, okay. The initial event of- I was smoking that, that's what I was doing to escape reality. And then, you know, I started training and then I just trained more and more and more. And then when I decided to, do, to commit to my contest prep, now, like, you know, I, going back to what you said earlier, I've done so much in 10 months. I honestly don't think that I could have done all that if I had a, like a normal nine to five job or if I had a family or if I had a girlfriend. I committed my life for 26 weeks to one objective. And I've never worked so hard towards something. I put hours into this. I trained every day. Twi and then towards the end, twice a day. So, so why, why get back? Was the getting back on stage a part of the organic process of setting micro goals for you? I knew that for me, it was really, I knew that for me, it was my business that's going to help me, that's going to set up my life. It's work. It's a lot of things. Well, my business is, is, like you said, financial freedom. So I knew that the only thing I could do where I could go from having, two, I got to a point of having $2 to my name, right? Thoughts of going to the supermarket and stealing stealing a potato to eat. That was, if you want to say rock bottom, that is rock bottom along with the other things that I've shared, right? But for me, I knew once I get my, once I start training again, I'll get more clients. I knew that if I compete again and did well, I'm back to earning a couple K a week. And I knew I could do all this in one year, and I have. And like I said, uh, discipline equals freedom. And this is something that Jocko, Jocko says, and I'll give you an example, black and white example, right? This time last year, I hadn't left my room in two months. It wasn't working, there was no discipline. Now I'm in a position to be living independently and I can go overseas whenever I want. So if you wanna talk about freedom, we got 10 months ago and now, and the only difference is the discipline lifestyle. That's what that's enabled me to have. You know, I can go anywhere I want in the world now, whereas last year, I couldn't even leave my suburb. I had $2 to my name with no discipline at all. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Completely different, uh, a mindset at the time. So you, when you talk about neuroplasticity, you can change that. That's what's really cool. And you know, I'm glad that I didn't take myself out because I didn't know at the time that your mindset and what's going on in your head, it can really change. Absolutely. You, you, dramatically, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm glad that I took those, those steps. And you know, if I look at what I want to do in the future, and I spoke to you about this, about becoming a youth worker, you know, I know people that have lost their lives through suicide, right? Me knowing that I've been, you know, at the, at, the, at the step of suicide, and I know that that was my mindset at the time, but then now it's like, you know, this time last year, I didn't want to see tomorrow, and right now, man, I can't, baby, I can't wait for tomorrow. Because mm. I know tomorrow is I can work towards goals. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm so excited going to work, because I know, not only am I gonna come home with like a, a little wallet full of money every single day, right? But I love what I do, and I'm loving the, the direction I'm going in. Same person, one year apart. So one year, one year on, like now looking back on that, 
if, if you could go back, say, as future you, yeah. and give yourself some advice, yeah. what advice would you have got to get I, out of the hole sooner? You know, I don't know if it was... I honestly, I'm being honest here, yeah? I honestly don't know if I could have done it if that catalyst hadn't happened. Right, so with, you had to have the, the I, don't, pain, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if I had to. I don't know if I had to. Yeah. You know, because I had a lot of people try and help me over those years. And you really have to help yourself. Mm. You, can have, you can have a lot of people trying to help you, but if you don't accept things, and I, I think it's, for me, again, there's different reasons why people can be doing the same thing. A lot of different reasons. For me personally, I had deep-rooted, unresolved issues. You know, like I told you, like I had to literally accept that both parents don't give a shit. It's up to you to pull that ship in and to fucking take it out. Do you know what I mean? There's no one else going to help you. And that's what he was. Maybe give yourself a Jordan Peterson book. I, I, don't, I, don't, yeah. I honestly don't know. I don't know if it would have worked You know, at like time. even if I could tell myself, you know, like if anyone's watching this that is in that state, right? Say rock bottom, you're doing drugs and you know you shouldn't. Because you know you shouldn't. So I'm really self-aware. So at the time, I'm doing something that I know is destroying my life. You know, there were some times, because I had mirrored wardrobe, I got mirrored wardrobes, I'd look at myself in the mirror and I'd be like, I'd be like what the fuck is wrong with you? What are you doing, man? You, you're destroying yourself. And I'd start crying. You know what I mean? But there was a part of me that like, it was easier. And I read this quote somewhere, something along the lines of, it's easier, it's easier to make a beast of yourself than to face life like a man. I don't, know, I don't know where I read that or if I quoted it properly, right? But when I read it, I could relate to it. It's what I'm doing. I'm making a beast of myself because I'm not, I don't have the balls to face life like a man. But because I didn't have, I knew I just, I don't have the skills in, for life. I don't know, I don't have the skills. I was a kid, I had no guidance whatsoever, man. You know, and then there's big, this big scary world out there. But literally like, you know, if I could drum something into myself, you know, when I was, you know, any point of that five year period, it's like, dude, you have one life, don't fucking waste it. Mm. This is it, and it's up to you. So we'll switch gears a little bit and just go through a few more topics. You know I can't drive manual? No, neither can I. Okay. Really? Fine. Yeah, no. You drive auto? I drive auto. Oh, no That's shit. The, yeah. You know, whenever I tell someone I can't drive manual, they're all like, you can't drive well, manual? Well, for me, I, I had a very good logic for it. It's like, well, I can invest the time in driving manual, but it's more of a pain in the ass. So I'd rather just work on my business and focus. So it's yeah, very much yeah, more of yeah, a, a yeah. decision out of okay. efficiency. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. A, lot of, a lot of my decisions in life actually come out of efficiency of like, what's the fastest route to yeah. getting my goal? But have you ever been judged than, by someone for not being able to drive manual? Uh, some people try and judge yeah. me, but I don't kind of let myself be judged. I'm like, well, why would I drive manual? You can only, like, I'm not, a, I'm not driving a race car. I'm not, I'm not an F1 driver. Hey man, so, I can have both hands on my wheel. Yeah, yeah. I, I can have one, one hand out the window. And, okay, you yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or in summer, I do yeah. that to show the gun. You know? Yeah, exactly. And plus, you know, I've got an, I'm driving an FJ Cruiser at the moment, and they don't come. Man, oh, is that yours? So that's that's my, my one. My best out friend the front. actually has that car. They're oh, yeah. so cool. Yeah, they're, they're, they're great cars. You know, he went to Europe a couple of times and left it for me to drive, and I'm like, oh, it's such a huge car. It, it is a, a huge, huge car. car. It takes a while it's a to huge get car. used yeah, to. Yeah, to get used to. It, it does. And there's a couple of blind spots as uh, well. Uh, it has. It does have some blind spot issues. But one of the things that uh, is actually quite funny, I drove that car. I didn't realize there was reversing sensors in the car. Okay. And yeah. for whatever reason, I turned off the, I just somehow, yeah. the reversing sensors when I got the car weren't on. <laughs> yeah. And no one told me that they had reversing sensors. You need them for that so car. So I drove for two years without yeah. any reversing sensors. And one day I was playing with the buttons. I pressed this button. I'm like, I wonder what this is. I'm just going to leave it on. Yeah. I start reversing it. Beep, beep, beep. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. like, 
helps so much. There's reversing sensors yeah. in this car, but anyway, so that's now my little story. Let's switch these gears now. Let's I'm switch the gear. It. We're going to go through uh, uh, you know a lot of different topics in a pretty rapid format. So this is the one word game, which I like to play with all of okay. my guests. Yep. So you know, for those who haven't watched the one word game, basically I'm going to say uh, a word. Uh, say for example, so if I said superhero, yeah. you might say Superman. So let's. Are you ready? Yeah. The answer's born ready, by the way. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, I, was, so, I thought I was conceived ready, but obviously uh, not. Australian, Australian uh, bodybuilding in Australia. Tony Doughty. Uh, protein powders. Oh, shit. <laughs> that one, I wasn't expecting some. I guess it's oh shit. Okay, IFBB bikini division. Oh, those bikini chicks. <laughs> those bikini chicks. Never. Dave, just for any bikini chicks watching, I'm single and I'm ready to move. <laughs> I'm just joking, no. <laughs> uh, never. Graham Lansfield. Uh, worst supplement. Oh, years ago, anything flavoured uh, fruit punch. They were horrible, oh, man. Oh, they, they, they were. were horrible, yeah, yeah, weren't yeah. they? Yeah. yeah. Amen. Uh, favourite supplement. Favourite supplement. To be honest with you, Vital Greens. Uh, yeah. Ultimate competing goal. Um, I have two, I have two, and these are these are my three-year plan. Um, I have to be pro league uh, overall Australia, um, and uh, the PCA World Championships. Awesome. Oh, uh, mental. Mental. A uh, mentor. Oh, I'd have to say, Mister Eab, if you're watching this, Eab Malayab, that is you, my friend. Uh, respected peer. You know, the first name that comes to my mind is Christian Caldwell, who was actually an adversary of mine. Uh, he was, uh, but he helped me so much backstage because I, I had this anxiety attack backstage. I couldn't even take my clothes off. I'm looking at everyone thinking they all look so much better than me. And he helped me back. Even though I'm up against him, he helped me to get on stage. And I, I'm so thankful for that. Christian, if you're watching, thank you so much. Uh, best bodybuilder of all time. Oh, that's a tough one. I think going by, going by the stats, it's, it's Phil Heath. But for what I like, I like the physiques like more Lee Labrada and Frank Zane and the guys from the uh, late 80s, personally. Yeah. Uh, favorite athlete? I'd say Roger Federer. Oh, no, no, I've got to go back on that. I said that, but I had to think about it. I'm going to say GSP. How good is GSP? Yeah, he's I heard him talk the other when yeah, he came to Australia. Yeah, yeah. Uh, comfort food? Oh, man, I I don't, you can call it comfort food. I like yogurt, right? And I love oats. I'm being oh. serious, too. We're at a bar. What are we drinking? I don't drink. Don't drink. Uh, favorite but if I had to choose something, right? If I was forced to choose an alcoholic beverage, it would be a shandy. If, for those of you who don't know what a shandy is, it's a little bit of beer and it's a lot of lemonade. It's uh, very dandy-dong of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, favorite exercise? Oh, squats. Uh, something you would like to see more of? I know this is gonna sound really like cheesy and cliche. There's a lot more peace in this world that we live in. Yeah, seriously. Nice, nice. I thought you were gonna say something like that when I- No, no, seriously. Yeah, seriously, there's a lot of suffering that happens. Agreed. What, what is something you wanna see less of? Well, I guess that's the same answer. Suffering, yeah. yeah. The biggest myth in bodybuilding. That bodybuilders have small penises, <laughs> all right? No, they don't, not all of us. Uh, not, especially the Greeks, uh, let me uh, tell you. A hobby or a pastime? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I enjoy, I've got, got a few interests. Um, I like uh, psychology, uh, history, and I like astronomy, and I love watching documentaries. So if, I, if I'm chilling out, that's what I like to do. 
And for Christmas, Lucky really hopes he gets a... Uh, can I be honest with you? Yeah. I, I'm a little bit different, right? I don't like getting gifts, believe it or not. It's like, you know, gifts make me feel uncomfortable. I'm being serious too. Uh, it's got to do with my, with my upbringing. You know, for me, I'll, t I'll explain why. Right, for me, every Christmas and, and birthday, almost when I was growing up, Maria would actually say things like, I want to make this the worst fucking day of your life, and she'd lose it at me. I'm being serious. So like, when it comes so to what's, Christmas- what's, what's something you hope you get? Oh, for this, uh, um, I don't know. Doesn't know. Don't know. Well, thank We're you for watching. We're going on a break, guys. We're going on a break. Uh, keep watching, make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube, and we'll be right back. Hey, hey folks, hope you're enjoying this interview with Lucky. For more great interviews and great content, make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube for all the latest releases, follow us on Instagram, and like us on Facebook. And if you need a hand with your training, do visit www.melbournepersonaltrainers. And for the personal trainers watching, I haven't forgot about you, visit Personal Trainer Mentoring for information on how you can do mentoring with yours truly. So let's get back into it with Lucky and uh, see you on the other side. Welcome back to The Wolf's Den. Today's guest is Lucky. We're going to be wrapping it up and talking about what he's done with his training, nutrition, and things that you've been learned recently. So, Lucky, uh, Lucky version one trained a certain way. Now, Lucky version two is training a different way. You said before that you're on some keto fasting. Oh no, that's just post comp. That's just post comp. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. really stupid. What are, what are you doing post comp? Okay, so um, I've never really been lean over summer. I've always been a bit of a normal, look normal, or just really fat off season. So I, uh, I've got this goal of, if any of you guys know of the, um, of the Bond movies, you know when, when Daniel Craig was first introduced as Bond and there's a scene of him coming out of the water at the beach looking like this specimen of a man. I have this image in my head of coming out of the beach looking like a specimen of a man. And just to get my ego stroked a little bit, you know, get my hard work validated. So I, my last comp was uh, end of October and I was in Amsterdam a week after and I continue dieting straight through to get a bit harder. And now I'm back in Melbourne and I actually have, if I was to be completely honest, almost like developed a slight eating disorder where I'm afraid to put carbs in. So I've gone keto and then I'm try I'm happy to try different things. Are you measuring with your keto? You're getting your blood glucose monitor out? Or Not at all. Pissing nah. on the strips? No, nah, nah, nothing. nothing like that. No, nah. nah. I'm just a dumb Greek. I failed year 10, failed year 12. Come on guys. So uh, at the look, I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing now. And next week I've, I've actually, already told myself I want to commit to like another short you know six week diet just get me over summer just so I can look good something sustainable just uh, something something healthy and balanced uh, whilst maintaining some cardio and if you run us through like a, a contest day yes, for you like if you're getting ready for a prep like what time do you wake up what are okay. you eating when are you training it really depends on the on where we are in the prep so as I said I did two powerlifting let's comps. go last six weeks out uh, yeah okay so my last powerlifting comp was six weeks out mm. Then after that point, I thought, okay, I'm just gonna commit to the bodybuilding comp now and do what I gotta do for that. Prior to that point, it was really easy. I was where I needed to be. I was doing no cardio. I was probably consuming about two to 300 what, what, what grams of carbs. What time does the day start for you? What time do you wake oh, up? Oh, uh, really early. What time? Six o'clock. So you wake up at six? I wake up at six. Are you, are you eating, training? Like what okay, time is so your first I'll, meal? Would wake up at six, I would do push-ups and sit-ups. Uh, and then I would have my first meal. And then I would kind of go back to bed until What's the meal? I was doing 100 grams of oats with uh, berries, almond milk, some honey, some cinnamon, um, 100 grams of mints, 
with uh, 300 grams of egg whites and some veggies. And then you go back to bed? For a little bit, yep. and then I'd get up and go to the gym. I'd do my first session, uh, then I'd train my clients, and then I'd go home. Obviously I'd be having, like, the meals that I'd have, if we need to be specific, after training I would have um, uh, some beef again with some sweet potato, um, and I would sometimes, depending on where we were, but last six weeks I think that was the last carb meal, and then I had uh, beef again with some veggies, and then I would go home, have a nap, wake up, go back to work, and I would eat before my first client, and I was eating beef the whole time. I would eat beef again with some veggies, and then I would train about three or four clients, I would go home, I then, I had this routine that I was doing when I get home, I would do 30 minutes on my bike outside, uh, I'd go for a walk for 40 minutes, then I'd come home, I would do half an hour of abs every night. I did abs every day twice. So you just and push-ups. didn't like chicken, don't like chicken, don't like no, fish I just, taste-wise? Or? I just felt, uh, I knew that there's a lot more, I'm getting a lot more bang for my buck with red meat. Mm. So are you counting calories, macros, food weight? Do you follow a system or is that just here are the meals, this is what I'm going to eat? And... That's, really, that's what it was. Mm. So you know, how do you manipulate the getting closer in? Is it we, just eliminating um, meals, eliminating carbs? That's what I, I had my coach, Iyad. So I got myself to about four weeks out that I said, okay, this is what I'm doing. And I'd been really just running the same thing. And like, so what I would normally do, I'd start with my diet and then I would do my body, my skin folds every week. And then when I would need to make adjustments, I would. I didn't need to make any adjustments. I think because my, even though my calorie intake was so high, so just, just going back to my diet, after I'd do that two and a half hours of work each night, I would actually eat a half a kilo steak. Now for a lot of people, this might be insane. I eat half a kilo of steak, and as soon as I ate that, I'd eat half a kilo of mince with heaps of veggies. And then as soon as I ate that, I'm not even kidding here, right? When I spoke to Iyad at six weeks out and said, you need to take over, because uh, again, that will take stress off me. I told him what I ate, the, the beet, the rump, the mince, and then I'm like, and then I have about three to 400 grams of yogurt with berries and honey as well, and with cinnamon. He goes, you're eating all that? I said, I'm eating all that. He goes, you're getting leaner. I said, what do you want me to do? He goes, okay, he goes, I've never had anyone eat yogurt pre-contest. And I'm like, well, I always have. Had my clients eating yogurt, you know? Because uh, I got that from John Davey. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's a great way to finish off the day. It's, really, it's like a treat. And he goes, okay, keep it all in. He goes, but I can't believe you're eating a kilo of red mm. meat right before you go to bed. And that's what I did. Now, when I just said to Ed, you take over, tell me what to do. Uh, as we got closer, we just kind of really eliminated um, the yogurt at maybe like 10 days out. Uh, but then he had me like, so literally, that's what I was eating the whole time up until literally two weeks out, where that's when the carb cycling started and the zero carb days were introduced. So if I get this right, because this is quite an unusual plan, yeah. um, I certainly haven't done the yogurt with any of my competitors yeah. as well, but the, the, you, you were eating 500 to a kilo of mince in like, one sitting because you it had was the literally, steak then you had it the was, mince it was the steak and the mince and I'm, I'm being I'm not even um, exaggerating here so how many meals a day would you be having? I was having I think uh, six six and then that last I, meal was like a super meal yeah yeah and that's yeah. just because you trained all day pretty much but not only, not only don't forget I'm, I'm, I was, at that point I was actually trying I think I was training twice a day but I was still doing that the, the kilo of red meat before I was training twice a day I've been doing the, red, the kilo of red meat for months with the yogurt. But then 
I was always doing that three hours of cardio at night. Wow. Well, I call it three hours of cardio, but I, was, I didn't see it as cardio. So I'm on the bike for 30 minutes, going for a walk to the supermarket and back, and then sit up some push-ups and then some posing. All together at night, that was between two to three hours of work. So what time would you go to bed? Uh, generally like maybe 11, 30, 12. Right. Yeah. So it's quite a, a full day of just training and eating. Well, if we refer back to earlier when I said I committed myself for 25, 26 weeks to this goal, if I had family or a full-time job, I couldn't have done it the way I did. Everything I did, was it necessary? I don't know. It's what I did. And I look better than I ever have. I was bigger than I ever have. Could I have done less and still look the same? I don't know. Could I have done less and look better? I actually don't know. I would have to do that to know. But all I know is that's what I did. And I end in 10 months time, apparently now I'm the best bodybuilder in Victoria. By my, the title that I have says that. I still can't believe it. I have to ask you this yeah. on a side topic. Yes, sir. What is Mr. Is it Diamond Creek? Okay, so as I was getting ready for this- I don't know the reference. As I was getting ready for this comp, I didn't want to, it was hard for me to say what my goal was because I kind of didn't want to come across like a wanker on, on social media. So I kind of, I, I said that I was competing on at the 2022 on Creek International. Like a job, I made up something, right? It's just, Dandenong Creek is like a suburb near my house. Like Dandenong Creek, it's not yeah. even a, yeah. And um, so that's what I kind of use as a reference to the comp that I was doing. So there's no Dandenong Creek. Right. It was just my reference. And people knew, some people knew what I meant, but then there were other people who actually would inbox me and say, <laughs> hey bro, can you, where's this Dandenong Creek title? Yeah, I just thought you are taking yeah. a piss. I'm like, what, yeah. what was he? Like, but then I'm like, well, wait, wait a minute. He's from Dandenong, so yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. there was a comp once there's, at there's the gym. Actually no, there's actually no Mr. Dandenong Creek. But I, I refer to it as the 2022 Dandenong Creek. Right. So I even, I even kind of separated it from the year, the year that we were currently in. I don't know why. At the time, I just, this was a joke kind of, because I, I, I stuff, what? I, yeah. I fool, I horse around a lot on social media. So I caught it at 2022 Dandenong Creek and I said, I'm gunning for the overall. And so the, the 2018 Victorian State Championships was essentially my 2022 Mr. Dandenong Creek. Yeah, fantastic. So nutritionally, you kind of just planned out your meals. That's what you did. Training wise, I've heard yeah. stories, angles from Scott Goebel saying once that Lucky just, like when he trains, he really just he, he brings an intensity to okay. training. That you know, let, me, let, me, let me touch on that, right? Yeah. When I used to train years ago, I, I had this reputation of being this animal in the gym. Right. I find a low rep target really easy. You know, give me five plates and say get five reps out. Yeah, any day of the week. Give me three plates and say get 15 reps. All right, this is hard now. So, because I was always working in a low rep bracket, hitting my targets and getting stronger, it appeared like I'm this animal. But all I was doing was hitting my targets and stopping. I never even went like hardly even close to, you know, failure. Like for me, doing three plates for 12, 15 reps with a, with a spot at the end, then doing a drop set, that's an animal. But when people see five plates and see people, other people see, well, the same people see three plates, they just think five plates is an animal. For me, five plates is easy. Give me three plates for 12 reps and I'm, I'm burning out. I'm, that's, for me, that's an animal. So I think all, that could be a misconception. I don't think I trained as hard as what people thought. It just appeared that way. So your training for this comp was just a lot of volume, would you say? Volume, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The, but the volume increased. So when I was on the powerlifting comps, obviously there's less training frequency. And a less, it was a different program altogether. But when I went to the 
after my last powerlifting comp, I shifted that, that kind of training. But at the same time, I realized that my performance dropped. So up until the last powerlifting comp, I was getting stronger through my whole prep. And I wasn't going to failure on anything, not even close to it. I was, I was using it like the RPE system. So that's the, uh, what's that called? Uh, rate of perceived exertion. And I was working at an RPE of seven on most of my sets. So what that means for the guys that don't know, if you do a set of 10 and I say to you, how many more reps could you have got? And you say, I could have got three. I'd call that an RPE of seven. If you said, I could, if you could only barely get one, well, that's an RPE of 10. That's complete exertion. So I was, I was hardly ever close to failing. I was always working at a submaximal load with, with volume. And depending on the body type, you know, I separated my deadlifts from my back accessories. So I would do back or my contract, scapular retracting, lighter weights, really focusing on my squeezing, and then I would have a deadlift day. I actually had three lower body days. So Monday I would do all my squats. Um, Wednesday I would do a typical, like a traditional leg workout with front squats, no back squats, so more quad specific, hamstrings at night on all three days. And then on Friday I would do- What's your go-to hamstring builders? For you. Okay, um, stiff leg deadlifts. I really like the dumbbell leg curl. We don't have uh, a glute ham raise at our gym. That's great. But more than anything, uh, the, the heavy compounds. And, and for you, your quads? Because I mean, you've got a very impressive set of quads. Okay, so the, this, the leg exercise that I was doing, Monday would be squats, pause squats, Bulgarian split squats. Um, Wednesday was front squats, leg press, extensions, hack squats just because I still thought I had to do these exercises. And then Friday was deadlifts, either deficit deadlifts or block pulls. Then I'll do some safety bar squats. Um, and then in the evenings, I'd, again, I did glutes and hamstrings. Now, as I was approaching my comp, you know, my glutes and hamstrings weren't coming in. And then again, I'm like, what do I do? That's when I decided to kind of increase the volume. So I separated them quad days, those leg days into AMPM. So I could do more volume on my hamstrings and glutes, again, thinking that they're gonna come in more, um, but they didn't. Well, Lucky, it's been an absolute pleasure. Hey, thank you so much, what, Mark. What final thoughts or things do you have, uh, future steps, where are people gonna see you next on stage? Okay, so uh, my next, my goals, my competitive goals for this year, uh, I plan on doing a powerlifting comp in January, end of January. I don't think my body's ready for it. So I'll be doing a powerlifting comp in April uh, but for bodybuilding, it's the same three comps next year, which will be the uh, uh, Tony's show, the Victorian State Championships, the Nationals, and then I'll be going overseas again to the PCA World Championships uh, in the hope of bettering my placings at those last two shows. And if people want to get in contact with you, training and this yeah, sort of thing? Yeah, so I'm, I'm a coach and a trainer down at Next Level Fitness, and we've got a really, we've got a really good thing going on down there. And uh, people can contact me either on Instagram message uh, private message or messenger on facebook so folks that's the interview with lucky i'm mark atobri my guest today is lucky hatsipinapopoulos so what's the last name hatsy pantalis not hatsy to be confused pantalis. with hatsy pantsless so thanks for watching make sure you subscribe to us on youtube stay tuned for more great episodes we have sebastian orib coming up Dwayne alley and past shows include andrew Locke and tony doherty so for more info that's where you can get your fix check out personal trainer mentoring the wolfpack blog or www.melbourne personal trainers for all things enterprise fitness and if you want to come in and train so folks till next episode hit subscribe train hard supplement smart and eat well oh, oh, oh,